the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, hello everyone. This is Al Fadi, and I want to welcome you to a brand new video series that we will be doing with our dear brother Mel, and we called it Ex, uh, "Exposing the Myth." And of course, we're talking about the myth of Islam, but uh, it's going to be a unique setting where we have also Dr. Jay Smith here with us in studio to interact with some of the material. Uh, we're going to try our best to try to cover as much as we can, but even if we were not able to finish a whole lot, we will keep adding to this particular video series as we uh, continue to work with our brother Mel as he builds this particular series. Brother Mel, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, how are you doing, first of all? I'm doing great. Uh, it's great to be back. And uh, hello to to yourself and Jay. Uh, great to, to be with you all. Thank you. So tell me uh, a little bit about this uh, Exposing the Myth series. And uh, if, if, if all goes well, you know, whether now or now and later, what is it that you are planning on covering for now, at least? Okay, so th- I think that the main um, focus this series is to look at the Zoroastrian connections with the beginnings of Islam and how Islam expanded. When Islam moved into Persia, it didn't... Um, um, not interact with the religion that was there and picked up quite a bit along the way and completely changed whatever the religion was like before that, it completely transformed the religion and made it what it is today. So it's um, it's quite um, explosive material that we're going to be covering. Wonderful. So what is the first thing that you want to talk about in this particular episode right now? Okay, so in this episode, we're going to be looking at the origin of the name Zamzam. Um, so this is going to be really the first time um, you will have heard of this. Um, we've been exploring the Zamzam from different angles. Um, I'd like to just start with this reference to Deuteronomy 6.14, which is my kind of guideline with all of the, the next bit of material. You will not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. Um, so what we're going to see is that Islam has taken on aspects of a religion that has many different gods, which from Christian point of view, there is only one God. So any other gods are actually false gods or perhaps even demons. So that's where I'm coming at it. So the the standard Islamic narrative gives a story as, as regards the origin of the Zamzam well. I won't go into it in great detail, but it's a familiar story of Hagar, uh, and 
and her infant running up and down looking for water. And then uh, she she has a miraculous spring appear in front of her. And then she says, apparently, Zome, Zome, which is supposed to mean stop flowing. And this is where the um, the name Zamzam came. Um, now, there's a number of problems with this story. Uh, the Bible says that they were sent out from Beersheba and not Mecca. So if you can have a look at Genesis 21, 14. So that's the first major problem. The second is the explanation that it comes from Zome Zome, stop flowing, doesn't even make sense. Why would a thirsty person ask for a spring to stop flowing? That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it always kind of was peculiar. So I think this explanation is a kind of a cover story. It kind of fits because it's at least it's a reference to water, but I think this is not the true origin. This is the perceived origin of the name Zamzam. So what I'm going to suggest is that the true origin of the name links directly to polytheism and therefore to the demonic. Um, Psalm 95.5 says, For all the gods of the Gentiles are devils, but the Lord made the heavens. So where I discovered this was really an, a mid-8th century source, which gives us a huge clue. Um, a Chinese source called Du Wan, who was a Chinese military officer. He became a, a prisoner of war in 751 AD, just around the time when the Abbasids were about to take power. And um, he had taken part in a battle uh, of Talas between the, the Taiyaye or the Dashi and the Tang military. He was, however, treated very well as a prisoner of war and spent 11 years traveling around the Levant and East Africa before returning to China and writing about his experiences. So he's a first-hand um, person, so which is very handy. So he wrote um, a book called The R Records of Travels, a work which has been almost completely lost. Thankfully, a few extracts survived in Tongin under volume 192 and 193, an encyclopedia compiled by his uncle, Du Yu. Um, so... Here's what he says. He writes about a place called uh, Molin, believed to be in East Africa. After crossing into the inland countries, there is a mountainous country which gathered a lot of confessions here, or a lot of religions. They have been, they have three confessions, he says, the Dashi, Fulin, and Zimzim. The Zimzim practice incest, and in this respect are the worst of all barbarians. So you may be able to guess some of these. The Dashi are the Tayyaye, or the Arabs, and it's referring to the early Islam. The Fulin refers to East Roman, i.e. Christianity. And the Zimzim is a reference to Zoroastrianism. In the 6th century, the Persians annexed Yemen in the, the late 6th century and into early 7th century. So Zoroastrianism spread into East Africa as a result of these close links with Yemen. Um, can you hear me okay over there? Yes, we can. Yes. Yeah, just checking. Um, so you might already um, see a similarity between Zimzem and Zamzam, but it gets better. Um, in a specific sense, the Zimzem refers to Zoroastrians of Persia, but in a wider sense, pagans in general. Do Islam Islamic scholars concur with this? Do they see a connection between Zimzem and Zoroastrianism? Well, Early Islamic sources use the terms, um, the Arabic terms, Zamzama and Zamazima, 
to refer to the religious rites of Zoroastrianism and the Zoroastrians. And so the terms um, are onomata, uh, poet, sorry, let me try that again. Onomata, I can't say that word. Can I skip edit that bit out? Onomata and a pat, and I'll skip that term because I'm I'm nervous, so I'm not going to say it right. So the terms uh, derive from what Arabs perceive to be an indistinct droning sound of the recitation of Avestan prayers and scriptures by Magi. So that's where the word comes from. Um, right. So we have also here um, Samzama, the confused noise of distant thunder, but widely used in the sources for early Islamic history for the priests of the Magians reciting and intoning the Zoroastrian prayers and scriptures, producing to the Arabs' ears an indistinct droning sound. Um, and there's also here a reference to Al-Tabri. Um, he has the Zamzama of the Herdbads, which is the Zoroastrian priests. He refers to the Muzamzim, uh, or adherent of Zoroastrianism, and also to Zamzama for the Zoroastrian rites, and Zamzima for the Magians in general. So it's pretty clear where the Zamzam comes from. It's a reference to Zoroastrianism. And we have here um, Al-Tabri actually saying it himself. So here are the references. Um, so we have volume five of Al-Tabri. So you see the term Zamzama in relation to the Zoroastrian religious formulae. Um, there at, in the footnote, we have uh, Muzam Zimum, um, which is in relation to um, Zoroastrian uh, rites. We also have this one, a man who was one of the Magians, Zam, uh, sorry, Zam Mazima, okay, of Marv. So there's plenty of evidence here to connect Zamzam with um, this well. And we also have, in addition to that, there's a place in um, Persia uh, called the Zam, um, or well, we call this Greater Iran, really, technically. So there's lots of connections here with the, the word Zam with, with Persia and the Zoroastrians. Digging a bit deeper, it turns out that Zam is actually a pagan god, or i.e. a demon. Zam is the Avestan language term for the Zoroastrian concept of Earth, in both the sense of land and soil. Um, the earth is viewed as a primordial element in Zoroastrian tradition and represented by a minor divinity called Zam, who is the hypostasis of the earth. Um, so this is quite <laughs> quite a bombshell, really, when we look into the origin of this this term. Uh, a little bit more about it here is the this fact that the Zam refers to the earth and also to Mother Nature. Um, I suppose the nearest equivalent to it would be in South America. There, there's a, a a goddess called, um, um, what's gone out of my head? Um, uh, can you Artemis. edit that bit out? Sorry. What is the name that's gone out of my head? Mama. No. Can you edit that bit out? I can't remember. Um, yeah. Okay. So the demon Zam isn't the only demon associated with Mecca. So the black stone on the Kaaba, according to St. John of Damascus, is linked to another demon, Aphrodite. These used to be idolaters and worshipped the morning star and Aphrodite, whom in their own language they called Kafar, which means great. And so down to the time of Heraclius, they were very great idolaters. 
This stone that they talk about is a head of that Aphrodite whom they used to worship and whom they called Kafir. Even to the present day, traces of the carving are visible on it to careful observers. Of course, whatever is there now is, has been broken up. Maybe it was broken for that reason. But in any case, Aphrodite is the same as Venus and also is called Lucifer, the morning star. So there, this is another very uh, awkward connection um, to Mecca. Muslims believe that the stone was originally pure and dazzling white, but turned black because of sin, which is pretty much the same story as, as of Lucifer. And we also have this of uh, St. John of Damascus. How is it then that you rub yourselves against the stone in your Kaaba and kiss and embrace it? Then some of them say that Abraham had relations with Agar upon it, but others say that he tied the camel to it when he was going to sacrifice Isaac. So I would note here that the story attempts to cover up its inherent paganism. Before I go to the last one, do you want to comment, either of you? Um, no, I mean, it's making sense to me. Jay, uh, would you like to comment on No, it? this is fascinating because you're now starting to put together the path of the black stone and also bringing it close to the Zamzam. Well, I want to see where you end up with this because this is an area that I'm personally interested We've had this material. We've talked about the Zamzam well. You and I have actually gone through and shown where it has come, uh, ante- uh, at, not just antecedent to the 8th century, but subsequent from the 8th century. So you're now going to the other direction and showing that there is there is all this material coming out of China, also coming out of Zoroastrian's uh, antecedent points. Pretty uh, absolutely great stuff because we're going to see the historical record for both of these as we uncover these these artifacts and also these stones. And, and Mel, we uh, we have about maybe a minute and a half to two minutes to wrap this up. Okay. So Islam at least acknowledges that the Jamarat, the pillars, represent Satan. This is not a big secret. The story is that is meant to be symbolic of a. a reenactment of Abraham's Hajj, where he stoned three pillars representing the shaitan and Muslims' temptation to disobey the will of Allah. Uh, uh, Arabs worship stones, so giving stones to Satan might have the hidden Gnostic meaning of making an offering to Satan, especially when we think of the other context, the wider context. Uh, Throwing is just a more enthusiastic offering. So maybe making a symbol of Satan as part of a holy site is not such a good idea. The act of stoning is ambiguous at best and may have more sinister Gnostic meanings. On the face of it, to set up a pillar to represent Satan in the textbook is the textbook definition of making an idol. So in summary, I would say that the Zamzam well is linked to Zoroastrian, to the Zoroastrian demon Zam. The black stone represents Aphrodite or Lucifer and the Jamarat represents Satan. So this is a side of the story that no one has really talked about before. Of course, this is the hidden side because there are many layers to to the rites that are going on here. This is obviously not something that most Muslims would be conscious of. So why am I not surprised? Why am I not surprised, brother? Uh, I mean, this is uh, definitely speaks into the heart of who is the founder of this religion. Uh, Jay, I'll give you the last word. Demon. Satan, Lucifer, 
Not very popular. You're not going to be very popular, Mel, when you start going public with this. <laughs> this is going to be exciting. Let's see what kind of feedback we get. Wow, this is a great uncovering. Thanks so much, Mel. You're always coming up with some real priceless gems, which in this case are anything but gems. Amen. And speaking of stones, it is a gemstone for sure. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Jay. And look forward to the next one. Until then, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Last time we uh, showed uh, that there is a connection between the word Zemzem, or at least the origin of that word, and Satan, uh, which is uh, uh, very troubling to, to say the least, but it ties back into the Zoroastrian religion. That's why today's episode is going to focus on the connection between the Zoroastrian religion and the reshaping of early Islam. And with us here, of course, remotely to expand on this, our dear brother Mel. Mel, welcome back. Well, it's great to be back. Um, so today I'm going to be looking at the wider picture and looking at the, the various ways that Zoroastrianism has influenced the beginnings of Islam and, and really shaped it the way it is today. Um, I suppose the, the main context of this is that really a pure religion should not have these sort of influences in place. They should be rejecting any um, influences from a polytheistic religion, but they didn't seem to concern themselves with that in the first few centuries. So let's first of all start by considering where the Sunnah was written. So if we take a look at all of the places where the, the Sunnah, which is the Hadiths and so forth, they were all written in Zoroastrian lands. So as you could expect, this would have shaped the the way the stories were told and the people would have, at the very least, been former Zoroastrians, um, and the whole culture would have remained predominantly Zoroastrian for many centuries. It took a long time. In fact, Zoroastrianism survived even to, to this day. Um, so it would have obviously had a huge influence on early Islam. Now, we also could look at the, the times of prayer. So in the Quran, it refers to four prayer times, evening, morning, afternoon, and noon. But in Islamic practice, we have five prayer times, now, it just so happens, maybe it's just a crazy coincidence, but the exact same prayer times are in Zoroastrianism exists in Islam. As you can see, um, they have different names, but they are um, the same times and, and five times during the day. The only uh, minor difference is instead of um, a call to prayer, there is a bell rung in Zoroastrianism. Another similarity is the fact that Zoroastrians wash be their, their head and their face and limbs before they go to pray. So that's a, another um, telltale sign. Um, in terms of the prayers, well, the prayers have to be said in a certain language. So obviously it's Arabic in Islam, but in Zoroastrianism, they pray them in Avesta. Um, and then there's the holiest spot. Well, the holy spot in a mosque is the, the wall facing Mecca and is called the Qibla. In the Agri, 
the room where the Atash uh, Pacha is enthroned is also called the, the Kebla, very similar. A Muslim will perform the Sajja in front of the Kibla, and so also will the Zoroastrian perform the Sezda before his Kebla. Both involve kneeling down and touching the forehead to the ground, so very similar indeed. And then there's a holy month in both cases. In Islam, it's Ramadan. In Zoroastrianism, it's Bahman. And in that uh, situation, they abstain from flesh. Um, in both religions, there's a reference to the Chinvat bridge, which is a mythical bridge that a person crosses to enter heaven. Um, and, in the Quran, yeah. and demons guard the foot of the bridge and argue with the gods over the soul's fate and so forth. And of course, a, a, another big one is the fact that the jinn seems to have come from Zoroastrianism. Their Zoroastrian origin is given away by the fact that they're said to have been made of smokeless fire. Now, obviously, with the fire temples and so on, with Zoroastrianism, it's a big focus to their religion. Um, there is obviously some dispute about the direct origin of it. Did it come from Aramaic? Did it come from um, Persian? Um, I would argue, considering all of the mythologies around the jinn found in Persia, I would think that the predominant influence comes directly from the Persians. Okay. And the jinn, just to, to point out, are kind of like an ambiguous being. They are kind of both good and bad, but essentially they're demons. And so that's that's that. I'm going to hand it back to you. Wonderful. I mean, again, it's fascinating, really, when you see stuff like this happening. Uh, it's very clear, uh, Jay, uh, that uh, you cannot escape from the mere fact that a religion like Zoroastrianism, that it pre-existed before Islam, has many practices that it's obvious. It's been borrowed. It's been borrowed. Yeah, I, I'm by fascinating that you, because you're bringing up a lot of antecedents. What's fa- you know, when you look at the Quran, you can see that the Quran only has three prayers, the morning, noon, and night. Where do you get the other two prayers? We've always questioned this. Well, Mel, you seem to have come on it because that's so specific that you have three prayers at night in Zoroastrianism. I don't know of any other place that has three prayers at night, and yet you found it here. Trick, great stuff, because this that supports exactly what we've been asking. We've been um, doing a lot of series here in the studio and looking at the sources and looking at the antecedents. We've been asking this question. When you are trying to put a book together, you've got to borrow from many other sources. This case, you're talking not only the book itself, but you're talking about the practices. The prayers, three in the evening, one in the afternoon, one in the morning, are not in the Quran. It looks like these have been added because we don't even hear about these five prayers until al-Buhari in the ninth century. Well, where do you think al-Buhari was living? And where do you think he did all his work? There in Baghdad. Where do you think Zoroastrianism had its greatest input? There up in that area, what is today Iraq? Well done, Mel. Looks like you've really hit onto something on this point. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Mel. And uh, uh, next time, I think we are going to talk about the Barak, I believe. That's right, yeah. Very good. So, uh, Very good. 
We are going to talk about this mythical, uh, uh, you know, uh, animal uh, that uh, has wings. That uh, Miraj taking him up across. Yeah, why the Buraq up from the Isra and the Miraj to Jerusalem as well? Yeah, looking forward to what you uh, will uh, will be sharing with us again. Thank you everyone for joining us here. This is a new series that we've been doing. It's short series, you know, intentionally. Uh, we want to give you the gist of it. Uh, hopefully, me and Mel, and maybe even me and Mel and Jay, will do a live stream, also panel discussion to expand further on this and maybe expand on it later by way of recorded uh, shows like this. Uh, Of course, the series is called Exposing the Myth. And next time, we will uh, deal with yet another myth that Islam obviously uh, has borrowed from somewhere, possibly from the Zoroastrian religion itself. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Jay. And uh, everyone, thank you. Until next time, have a blessed day. intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.